Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with the One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined, as always, forever, by my good friend, my business partner, uh, Jason Johnston Yellen. That's it. That's it. That's that's. Are you okay? Jason? Three names. Are you okay with me just just using your your Jason three names, or should I be coming in with Dram Galf and the White Wizard? And no, I was, I was quite taken by how foreboding your forever was mm. in the in the intro. Mm. Uh, I felt a little bit like I was in a lockbox under your bed. What do you mean? Like you were in a lockbox. <laughs> I tried to keep the mystery for the listeners, but you are correct. You, you are correct. You, you know what I should have said. I'm joined. <laughs> it was nothing. That's Mike Burbridge. <laughs> What's nothing? That's good. What I should have said is I'm joined today and and always and forever, whatever those words are, by the newly minted 47 year old Scotsman living in. <laughs> The Shenandoah Valley of of, uh, of Virginia, uh, America. It's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Today, today is the day after my birthday, and I did a lot of really good drinking. Okay, but I didn't. I didn't have an alcoholic beverage after. Well, let me say this: I didn't have a real alcoholic beverage after about three p.m. I had a oh. I had a beer around. Six. Okay. And then that, that was it. That was the alcohol. With that said, the day started, The to be clear, the drinking day started <laughs> at 11 a.m. with Manzanilla, uh-huh. a, a lovely sherry gift from your good self. And that was followed with Quiche de Mojo. Mm. The, is it Scent... Scent... What's, Five, what's the name of the brand? It's uh, Sentidos. 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 But yeah, so it's so it's them. But that's interesting that you went from Manzanilla to Mescal, <laughs> because I always think of Mescal kind of like how we approach Isla whiskeys when you're doing a lineup. <laughs> Mescal's going to go toward the end. You want to hear what followed the Mescal? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I do have to say the Quiche de Moho was a recommendation from Anthony Levinson at Moho, at Moho, at Roma, another four-letter word that is different. And and it was a tremendous recommendation. Uh, he, he hit it out of the park mm-hmm. with that rec. Yep, it's a good one. I got myself a bottle and I got you a bottle. Yes. So you are sitting yes, with yes, a yes. bottle in Connecticut. And it hurts to say um, that, so. You know, every time I tell you that. And... As you rightly point out, the mezcal mm-hmm. was followed by some 2017 Fechio Lagavulin. Ah, what was the seven? <laughs> what was the seventeen? It was the it was the sixteen year old fish bottling. The seventeen was the sixteen year old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. In 2017, they released the sixteen year old Lagavulin. And was it just basically a cast strength version of the regular sixteen? I don't, I don't remember because I, I have a bottle. Actually, I have two bottles. And I know I tasted it in 2017, but I don't necessarily recall what it is. 
Was the 2017 the one that we enjoyed with with Jess at the Jubilee? The two. That's a good question. The 2017, we would have had on Isla because we were on Isla the next month doing the Great Isla Swim. Yeah. Yep. This is double matured in Muscatel Cask Wood. Yes, that's right. Kalila and Lagavulin that year had a Muscatel finish. That's right. I do remember that. So there you go. So so then. We followed the 2017 Fish Lagavulin with the 2015 Fish Lagavulin. Oh, good lord! Now that—that's <laughs> Angel's Tears right there. That's—that's—that is my second favorite whiskey of all time. Yeah, yeah, it's way up there, and the auction prices are already stupid on it. And I've got—I think I'm halfway through my last bottle of it. Oh jeez. Which is why it gets spilled out for the special occasions, mm-hmm. but um. Distilled in 91, bottled in 2015, uh, 59.9, which is a pretty high lag of bullet. Oh, jeez, you wouldn't know it. Correct, you would not. Right. Yeah. Just just double check it here. The 2017 fish was 56.1. Okay. Okay. Then yeah. we followed the 2015 lag of with the Kilhoman, uh, the Whiskey Exchange 2021 release, the one where I read the notes from Billy Abbott and just said, I, I got to get a bottle of this. <laughs> sent the link to you, uh, sent the link to Elijah, yeah. highly recommended it to Jess since she's already in the UK. And holy moly, <laughs> it is such a full, bright, citrusy Kilhoman. Yeah. It's it's an it's an incredible incredible bottling. Any regrets? I'm having a little chuckle here because the other week when you and I were in Kentucky, I brought your bottle that I that I brought in from the whiskey exchange for you, and you didn't have room in your luggage to take it didn't back, it? and so I took it all the way to Kentucky and I brought it all the way home from Kentucky. <laughs> But it's a, a bourbon matured single cask. For anybody searching for it, it's cask 197 slash 2007. Hmm. 50 ppm, bottled at 53.9%. Uh, and Billy talks about singed orange peel and smoky toffee. And sounds uh, amazing. Uh, yeah. It was. It was absolute poetry when I read the notes. And in a lot of cases, and you and I have talked about this on and off over the years. In some cases, poetic tasting notes are just that. Mm-hmm. They, they exist as a note. Get the whiskey. There isn't a connection. Yeah. But when it comes to Billy, Billy, Billy writes things like chocolate limes, which is the lechig that you and I talked about at yep. the turn of the year. Uh-huh. Right. That, that's a note that I've never written. I've never said to somebody in a tasting but I've read it from Bailey a couple of times, including with this Kilhoman. Uh, and, and he has been so right about it yeah. that uh, I, I trust Bailey's notes wholeheartedly. So yeah. Yeah. got the Kilhoman just on the strength of his tasting notes. Absolutely not disappointed. Shared it yesterday. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, when you sent me those notes, uh, I, I don't... I, I feel as if you sent me the notes... 
but not necessarily connecting it to a bottle. Just say, or maybe you followed up with the link to the bottle, saying, I think so, yeah. saying, what do you think about Billy's notes here? And I think my response was something along the lines of, whatever he's talking about, I'm ready to purchase. Because <laughs> it was just, that's exactly it. Yeah, it was just, it was, it was great. It, it made you want that thing, and and now hearing your review of it, uh, that all all the things he said were were true, all of them. Um, I'm so glad that I have a bottle now as well. <laughs> well, you did. Now that it's back in Virginia for the second time, I think it's I think it's traveling days are behind it. Well, <laughs> there is uh, there is there is September. You're going to come up for Mimi's bat mitzvah, so there you go. Yeah, without that Kilholman, I'll be drinking it at home. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't, sir. We've also got two days before this episode goes live to secure the last of these bottles. <laughs> it was only... Sorry, I put the bottle back down again. Only 204 bottles oh. from this uh, bourbon cask. And I'm holding bottle 154. And it's it's got to be a barrel because they're only using... Buffalo Trace bourbon barrels and not hogsheads. So, right, right. So two hundred and four. So we've got a couple of days. But here's here's what I really enjoyed. So we followed that with the again Kilholman. Mm -hmm. This time the Southern California Whiskey Club selection of the eight year old Ruby Port Quarter Cast. Got it right next to me. That is a lovely right. little drinker. Yep. Right, that's a that's an absolute terrific pour, and the port absolutely works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we spend a lot of time talking about that oil and water aspect, but uh -huh. when it works, it works. And what I then did was, after finishing up the ruby port, I went back into the whiskey exchange, mm -hmm. and it, that's where I was really struck by how citrusy the bourbon cask whiskey exchange selection yeah. is. Yeah, so. The last thing I'll say before telling the listeners what I poured for your birthday separately, <laughs> and, and though I think you may you may reveal that you had another pour or three yourself of, of other things, but whenever I conduct tastings with with a group whose beginner or intermediate has dabbled in peat, doesn't necessarily like peat, you know things like this. And, you know, the last three whiskeys will be peated whiskeys or, or I'm doing just a straight up kill home and tasting or something like that. For whatever reason, this trick that I'm about to mention seems to work best for kill Homan, where I say to people or best with kill Homan, where I say to people, you know, raise your hand if you don't like Pete. And, you know, 60% of the room raises their hands. I say that that's fine. We're going to get past that. We're going to dig past that. And and my trick is taste the first whiskey, then go to the second whiskey. Now go back to the first whiskey, then go to the third whiskey, then go back to the second whiskey, and then back to the first whiskey. And what you're doing is you're creating that context within your, your brain, right? You're, if you're not a fan of or very well-versed in peated whiskeys, the synaptic connections between your tongue and your brain, they're speaking different languages. So you have to create a new language through context. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think when it comes to Kilhoman, 
even though it's heavily peated, 50 ppm, same peating level as Ardbeg, you can more easily, pun intended, dig past the peat to get to those other things. Like you had said, the citrus just popped after you had that Kilhoman with port. So that when you said that, that totally made sense to me. Yeah, no, I, I think the context is hugely important. What I then did, I didn't pour any more bottles, but I did exactly what you're saying there, is I pinged back and forth mm -hmm. between the bottles already poured, mm -hmm. returned to the 2015 fish. And it's just so good. And, and it's interesting because there's not a single note that I go out my way to identify in the 2015. Yeah. I just simply say, as an entire experience of whiskey, mm -hmm. it's absolutely delicious. And it's that's not normal for me. I'm normally picking and teasing out little bits here and there. Yeah. And that 2015, I, I just say, I don't, I don't even want to do that with it. No. I just want to sit and be enveloped yes. by the entire dram. Yes, 100. And that's, that is the proper way to drink that whiskey. Right? Yep. Right? So, so there you go. So that was, that was good pouring. That was good early afternoon drinking. And then had a little beer. But one beer. And then that was me the rest of the night. Well, in honor of your birthday, I started off with a uh, cocktail that had some mm -hmm. Herb Garden Damask Rose Gin, some California Amaro, a bit of ginger beer, some raspberries. Uh, it's called the Texas Rose. It's absolutely wonderful. And mm -hmm. then I capped my evening off with an Invergordon that we bottled from 1974, because that's your birth year. <laughs> Yes, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank I appreciate you. that photo yeah. that you sent through. I was like, yep, that's, that is 1974. <laughs> 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 it is the thing about pulling out that, that 2015 Fesch Lagavulin distilled in 1991 and, and just thinking, yeah, 17 years old, right? Just on the cusp of going off to America for the first time. Uh, when I was 18, or or just going off to university or wrapping up high school like yeah. that. Yeah. 1991 was a, was a cusp year. And here I am drinking this 24-year-old whiskey from then that in itself was bottled six years ago. It's, those numbers are all starting to get a little serious, and, and I know you don't like when I get modeling, so I will, I will push on through here. <laughs> I know you don't like this type of chat, so, but I will say it was, it was a ton of fun, absolute ton of fun. Good. And Good. I live to tell the tale, and uh, yeah, and now we embark upon another trip around the sun, and we see what life looks like 365 days on from this birthday. Well, all of our talk of Isla whiskies makes me think of today's guest who spent a fair amount of time on Isla, not necessarily talking to our friends at Lagavulin or Kilhoman, but talking to uh, Jim McEwen, formerly of Brochlady, also Mark Renier, formerly of Brochlady, currently of Waterford in Ireland. And, and of course, Jim McEwen you know, freshly retired. He's Jim McEwen of Jim McEwen and family now. 
Uh, yeah. Anytime anyone puts the word retired near Jim McEwen, I always say again, or for the moment, or this time. <laughs> I don't think there's a period after any of this with Jim McEwen. Yeah, I, I don't, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who can keep his feet up for an extended period of time. He does not. And, and it's never been his life. And that's why. Yeah. Yep. Right. He's, he's my dad's generation where if you're not working, well, why are you just sitting around in your arse? That's mm-hmm. not how any of this works. Mm-hmm. Get up off your arse. Yes. Go do something. That's exactly how I feel. I feel as if I'm part of your dad and Jim McEwen's generation. <laughs> Can't not work. <laughs> <laughs> I may be with their generation. Uh, uh, uh. See, there's me. I'm not allowed to be modeling, but here we are. Joshua <laughs> is of an older generation. <laughs> so, so this is an interesting episode in that well we have uh, greg schwartz of water of life film and he's been on some other mm-hmm. podcasts and i'm sure a lot of people who are listening today's episode will have seen the movie or if, or if they've not you know this is a good opportunity to learn a bit about the movie but it was interesting in that both you and i were scheduled to talk with greg and then my day just went sideways. And you, thankfully, picked up the pieces and, and interviewed the good Greg all by yourself. I did. I did. And it's funny because I'm just off, not too recently, but I was just off the back of, of my first in-person interview where I went through to D.C. to talk to Bill Thomas. Mm-hmm. And that was... You know, for all of this lockdown, you and I scheduling people on Zoom and being in the same place at the same time, mm-hmm. regardless of where they were in the world. And then I sat with Bill, just one-on-one, had a wee chat, recorded it. And now here to have a Zoom where it was just one-on-one sitting, having a chat and recording it. it actually made me think back to, to Nick, uh, Nearly Naked Nick in New Zealand, which... <laughs> his beloved nickname internally around uh, SCN territories. <laughs> but Nick... Of Hollywood, yes, of course. Nick <laughs> last Ra- name? Nick Ravenhall of Hollywood. Oh, oh sorry. Yes. <laughs> Let me try that again. <laughs> Nick Ravenwood of uh, Hollywood. And, and that's not Raven's Claw, but it's Ravenhall of Hollywood. Is he Ravenwood? He's Ravenwood. Oh my God, we make so many jokes about people's names that my brain just gets upside down and back to front. Right, which is... He's not Nick Ravenclaw? No, he's Ravenhall. That's it. It's Nick Ravenhall. Right? But this is the problem with these names. You've got Ravenhall, Ravenclaw, Ravenwood, Holly Rude, Hollywood. Like, it's just, it's it's word soup at that point, and you just hope for the best. <laughs> oh gosh and uh, and you deny we're men of a certain age <laughs> no I was doing this stuff at 20 something too <laughs> uh, anyway so it, it, it made me think of my conversation with Nick where that was a zoom where you got called away I was through illness with yeah. the Nick one yeah, yeah. yep and I, I carried on and, and I'm it's going to be interesting as as you're back in the world uh, and and I'm back in the world and even Jess 
just back in the world mm -hmm. eventually. What it all looks like. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. But anyway, the great conversation was lovely. Just a chat. We've been talking with him for months and months. Towards the end of our chat, we talk about the Orkney release. Mm. And then once once you and I come out of the interview, uh, you and I will have a little taste of this Orkney together. Good. And we'll we'll say a little bit more about release and timings and just to reiterate and and pricing and, and so on and so forth. Perfect. Well, let's hold on. I made the mistake last time of asking if there was anything else you wanted to mention before we move on to the interview. Is there anything you want to mention before we move on to the interview, Jason? No, let's take this over to Greg and Jason. So, Greg, thanks very much for joining us on One Nation Under Whiskey. This has been a long time in the making. We've been having conversations with you for months and months. And there was a tasting that we all attended that I think was last fall. And and we've really been talking pretty regularly ever since then. Is that your recollection? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Bakersfield tasting, right? That's yeah. The, that's the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was single cast nation, Baker's dedicated uh, tasting with Bakersfield Group. Yeah, that was that was a lovely, a lovely gathering. I don't know if pandemic had quite hit us at that point. We were only six months in. Yeah, right? <laughs> we were still newbies at that point. <laughs> Wide eyed and innocent. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, what's the pandemic looked like for a filmmaker? Well, I mean, it's it's. Certainly not the way we envisioned rolling out the film, you know. Um, but I will say this: it we've made the best of it, and I think it's worked for us. Um, we were, you know, I, I'm fond of saying that people. I've I've read numerous articles in the media about how people are consuming more video at home than ever before, and people are consuming mm. more alcohol at home than ever before. And I happen to have built a house at those crossroads, and so <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so it's it's it was challenging. I mean, we were meant to debut the film at the Feshiel in 2020, um, and when that didn't happen, the film was ready. So that was May. It was a year ago, and you know, then that's incredible. We sat on it until about September, and then we decided, okay, we need to start coming up with a plan. And then, um, so then we kind of came up with a plan to do January. We we didn't want to kind of get lost in the holidays, so we decided to focus on. We picked Burns Night, you know, and nice. Very nice. We just, we had this in our last episode when we spoke with Lee and Bree at Backwoods. They were getting ready to debut their whiskies when the pandemic hit. And now we're speaking to you, you know, getting ready to debut a movie and the pandemic hits. And their comment I thought was, was really, really a good one where they said we were really deflated. And then we started to work our way out of this. And it almost felt like we ended up with a better opportunity than the one we'd originally imagined. I, I'm listening to you here. You've kind of got this, it was Fish 20, but then people were drinking more at home and watching more at home. Do you feel like you, 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 you the internal term that Joshua and I use is polished the turd. <laughs> do you feel like you polished the turd here? I, I do. Uh, I, I mean, and I'm and, and I, 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 shiny as can be. <laughs> um, it's, you know, we, 
Part of it is we were really blessed uh, to get um, Fiona O'Connor come on as our head of marketing because once she kind of got the concept of what we wanted to do, we're a team of filmmakers. She's a professional marketer. And, and when she's like, okay, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to roll this out online. And that combined with Trevor and I actually took a class, an online class. There's a, there's a very well-known independent film distributor named Peter Broderick. And Peter and his business partner did an online class about distributing films in, uh, in a, it wasn't specifically about a pandemic. It was more like mm. the new way of distributing films on your own, of, of taking them out online and doing it digitally. And, and you know, Peter feels like, and I think he's right, that this was actually going to happen in the world of smaller films anyway, you know, because there's right. a movie about whiskey isn't going to have a great theatrical run nationally anyway. And it's going to be a, a set top box. It's going to be a TV, a stream kind of thing. So we were so inspired by those two things that it just kind of, the pieces started to click into place. And then, you know, we, we started, the plan was to do Burns Night. And our mm. response from the people featured in the film was so good, it became Six Nights. So we out, we out Robert Burns to Robert Burns. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing that I always tell folk about Burns Night over here is that Burns Night associated with suppers, you know, these nice big Burns dinners, with a little bit of drinking, you know, a little tipple, um, they they would run in Scotland for three months. And my dad would start attending burn suppers around the middle of January and go right through the end of January, all the way through the month of February, into the month of March. And sometimes the mid or the end of March would signal wow. the end of burn supper season right in time for golf season. And so he would just transition from one to the other. It really took up his winter months quite nicely. Um, but but in, in listening to you here, we know who Trevor is. We know Fiona. We know you. Could you tell our, our listeners, can you talk to the team for us? Since we know it's not just Greg Swartz behind a lens here. Uh, absolutely. Um, so the, the idea came to me first when I was, my wife had never been to Scotland before. We went for our 10th anniversary. It was on that trip that I started kind of plotting this idea. And Trevor is Trevor Jones, my business partner, and he's also my next door neighbor. And we're good friends. And we we what we do. Which one is, came first? We were business partners first, and um, we had a baby. And the people moving out next door, I decided I was going to play a role in trying to ho see who my new neighbor was going to be uh, because I had a baby. And so <laughs> I, I recruited friends, and he loved the place, and they moved in. Now they have kids too, so our kids That's have awesome. sort of grown up as my my daughter considers his sons to be siblings. Oh, um, that's very cool. Very cool. So he and I do a lot of our meeting on our front stoop that we share. And it's, it, it, even though it's in LA, it's very, it's very Brooklyn. It's a big wide cement front stoop. And we sit out there and drink whiskey and, and talk. And, and that was the beginning of this. Um, mm. And so then the next step was, uh, I have um, a cinematographer friend of mine, who's one of my best friends who lives in Pennsylvania still where I'm from originally. He has an incredible whiskey collection and is a really serious whiskey drinker as well. And so I knew immediately that not only I always like working with him, but I knew he was the perfect fit before. And so he was the next person on board. And then Alphonse Palima, who's an, uh, he was our drone pilot, did a lot of our specialty camera work. Uh, Brad did all the interviews and, and is the cinematographer of the whole film. But but Alphonse worked for him and both of them are producers as well. Um mm -hmm. And then we recruited uh, one of the, Trevor and I both knew a producer who we knew from the U.S. who was Scottish but had moved back to Scotland. Then we recruited her uh, to sort of be our feet on the ground in Scotland. And um, she and her husband are now have a production company there in Falkirk. So, oh, okay. Okay. Who's and, that? 
Leslie Ann Morrison and her husband, Greg McNeil. So, um, and then I have, from my days of living in Glasgow, one of my friends there, um, Linda Bickett, who is a nurse by trade um, at the Children's Hospital in Glasgow, but but she was, to this day, literally to this very morning, was hugely influential in helping me navigate, like, I really wanted to go to Springbank, you know, and she said, well, it's great, but you're going to have to set aside at least a day and a half because you can't just go and come back, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> st- beyond just the ob- the obvious geography of Scotland, it was more the sort of, mm. oh, you, you can't do that in a day, kind of. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm curious, just very quickly on that very topic, as you were planning and your mind was kind of thinking about how to piece this together, were you looking, and you did mention a moment ago about living in Glasgow, but in looking at the map of Scotland, were you thinking, oh, you could get from Glasgow to Aberdeen, you can get from Aberdeen to Inverness, we could could really be moving around this country very easily and then come to find that that's not the case. Did, did you have a little bit of that going on? You obviously come sure. from California. You and I talked before we hit record about driving from LA to Orange County, really taking uh, you know, an unnecessary amount of time, <laughs> or nighttime drive to San Diego. Well, what was your view of moving around Scotland when you looked at it on a map? Well, I, you know, I, I know Scottish geography pretty well. Um, I would say better than most Americans for sure. And I knew, I immediately knew that I wanted to build the shoot around two epicenters and then kind of expand from there. So what we did is, you know, we spent eight days on Isla and then we spent eight days in Dufton. Um, Ah, And then we did a little things here and there. We spent two days in Glasgow, two days in Edinburgh, and then one day in Campbellton. And then I had a list. What Leslie Ann and I did is I made a list of some, I just, I only finally realized this the other day. Someone asked me about the, what made us select the distilleries we selected. I said, well, the truth of the matter is I'd be lying if I said it wasn't really just kind of my taste. Um, because <laughs> it wasn't, done. <laughs> it was, it was whiskeys I liked and or companies that I thought made whiskey in a way that I really respected or was inspired by. Um, and it wasn't just, I, you know, I mean, this is absolutely not a knock on Diageo at all. They make some great whiskeys, but I, I, I just don't find those stories. They don't need my help. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They don't, they, they don't need those stories told. They can tell their own stories. And um, so it was just, you know, I made a list with Leslie Ann of places I wanted to go. And then she and Linda and I sort of went back and forth about, well, this is feasible. This isn't feasible. Um, and that was kind of a moving target, to be honest with you. I'll tell you, we spent a half a day at Bob Blair and that was a last minute decision. We had a day off for the crew. And Bob Blair came through and said we were avail- they were available if we wanted to go there. And the crew and I were like, let's just go do it. I mean, to be honest with you, it was the most fun shoot we ever had. We were already in Dufton. It wasn't that long to get there. Um, so we just went and did it. But the other thing I'll tell you that we didn't get to do is I had a list of distilleries I wanted to go to that I had to knock off the list. I really wanted to go to Ardnamurkin. Mm. But and mm-hmm. it, it came down to, do you want to go to Ardnamurkin or do you want to go to Campbellton? Because that's they're one or the other. You're not doing both. And Arden yeah, that's a tough drive. And they didn't have whiskey at the time. They, you know, so it, it, how, it's, it was just a tough decision, but we didn't go. But you seem like a man who would find a reason to return. <laughs> in in uh, three hours, literally in three hours, I'm doing my live Friday broadcast. I'm talking to Alex Bruce and Connell McKenzie. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> we've, we've <laughs> they're, delayed, they're back from their walk. We've delayed the start time because of the football match. So. Ah, Yes. <laughs> Yes, I had a friend text me about a goal, but I, yeah, I learned a long time ago not to watch Scotland play in a professional competition. It just it doesn't end well. <laughs> um, 
So that's good. I'm glad you've got that chat lined up with them. So as you're talking there about near and dear to your heart and that kind of being the way you planned this, you mentioned earlier about being an, a natural born storyteller. When you were conceiving of this project, what story were you looking to tell? I, I, I unapologetically was inspired by Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Um, Brilliant movie. And <laughs> the thing about that movie that's so inspiring to me is that movie is not about sushi. Mm-hmm. That, movie, that movie is about passion and creativity and craftsmanship and, and dedication to craft. And Agreed. You could, you could have never eaten sushi nor ever eat sushi in your life and still love that movie. And I wanted to tell that kind of story. I didn't want to tell... I, I didn't want to do a tour of a distillery and say, ah, oh, this is a mash tun, this is a washback, and here's this is a little wines receiver. You know, I... <laughs> and and you know there was a there was a series that was made a few years ago. Um, um, David Heyman made I, in the U.S. It was called uh, Scotch: The Story of Whiskey. I know it was called different things in different parts of the world. Okay, it's it's on Amazon Prime. It's three one-hour okay. episodes. <laughs> I was going to ask you if it was the one on Amazon Prime. Okay, and I know which one you're talking about. It's really good. It's very entertaining and interesting. And it's just not what Brad and I really specifically our cinematographer and I we were like. I don't want to do that story. I don't want to say this week I'm at Springbank and they're going to teach me about shoveling peat, and yeah. um, and this week we're at a cooperage and they're going to help me raise a barrel. And you know, I, I didn't want to be on camera. First of all, I'm not a performer and. I didn't want to be a host and we just wanted to tell a story that really focused on the people and the, and you know, the Brook outsized role in our story was kind of came about as we made the film. It wasn't planned at the beginning. It was, it was, we had picked a bunch of distilleries that we thought all had interesting stories. And then as the, as we shot and then later as we edited, we kind of were like, okay, this is the most dynamic story of all. And, you know, so it changed as we went. It's interesting you say that because in, in one of our first conversations, the distilleries you were talking about that, that fit this rubric are the same distilleries that we take our whiskey geek tours to. And it's it's those ones that are interesting and passionate and have their own story that we can bring people to them and say, you know, look, look at these spiders webs up in the rafters at, at Springbank. Uh, up where the mill uh, is powered from. Like, th- those are nice things to see. And then there, and not naming names, there are other distilleries you visit where it's all health and safety and you have to stay within the lines and you have to wear the high-vis jackets. And, and that's a very different experience. And so I've always felt at one with the, with the movie that you're trying to make, the story that you're trying to tell. Yeah, and, you know, that we had the same experience, you know, um, and it, it's funny. My favorite thing about Springbank is, and I, we don't have this on camera. They said this while we were walking in. Um, they said that I, somewhere in Springbank, and I have no idea where. And I don't. This could just be an apocryphal story, but that somewhere in Springbank there is a light switch on a wall with a piece of tape over it that says "Do not touch." And no one who currently works there knows what it does, but no one wants to be the person to touch it. Now, if they really cared, they could take the plate off and look. <laughs> <laughs> I. I think, or maybe not to speak out of school here, but I think that switch is on the way up the rickety staircase to the mill. Um, Because I think one of our group pointed it out to Ranald Watson, who was walking us through, and and he'd simply said, keep walking, keep walking, (laughs) don't touch it. Uh, The the other one is the, the little chalkboard that they've got at the end of their grain bins, which is full and half full. 
yeah. then if it doesn't say anything, it's empty. Like, <laughs> like it's just so good, so good. Um, so, so what kind of response did you get as you started reaching out to distilleries saying, I'd, I'd like to make a movie? Um, did you even say that? I'd like to make a movie about you, featuring you? What was the pitch to the distilleries? Um, that we wanted to make a film about the craftsmanship of making whiskey. And uh, craftsmanship was always the word I used all the time. Um, I w- we struggled a lot, I'll be honest with you, um, just to be somewhat politically correct with the sort of gendered use of the word craftsmanship. But I wasn't mm-hmm. gonna I wasn't gonna say craftspersonship. It's just it's just a and I looked for other words that spoke to it as well and I didn't. But you know, and I felt bad about that because we do feature women in the film and and you know that was really important to us. But um that was the word that Leslie Ann and I kind of settled on. That that was what we were gonna tell them this was about. This wasn't gonna be a, you know, um here we are on a ferry ride and here we are doing this. It was it was gonna and you know, no one said no to us. Um, uh, a couple things didn't work out. Uh, and I, I'll be the first to tell you, I think I may have mentioned this to you in an email last week. It, it, it drives me crazy. And it, dro- it drove me extra crazy listening to you guys interviewing that Bill, Dr. Bill's not in the film. Ah. But he wasn't in the country when we were shooting the film. He was in India. And they were, you know, actually, Art Bag did an event for us to help promote the film before we shot it here at Seven Grand. And and the local Art Bag brand rep did an event for us and we were, you know, I'm a big Art Bag fan and, and, you know, we really wanted to do some, to spend some time with him and he just wasn't available to us. And the other one was Kilhoman was in the middle of getting new stills put in and like the whole place was a complete work site. So we have some B-roll of Kilhoman, but we don't have any interviews or anything there. So those are the only two. Yeah. If, if, if I could take umbrage with you in any way, it's, it's the absence of Kilhoman, but knowing that you have a very valid reason the, the shelving unit over my shoulder here is all Kilhoman. And so I'm, I'd be excited to see, you know, again, we're talking returns and other parts and I'm, I'm yeah. sure Kilhoman again will be in your future. Um, I, it's, those are the two that bugged me. Those are the two I really wanted to, you know, um, and, you know, the funny thing is we didn't think we were going to get to talk to Billy Walker at all. And then um, David Keir actually reached out to us and said, mm-hmm. if you guys are still in the country, we, we can give you a half a day with Billy. So we, you know, stopped the car on a one lane cow path and turned around. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he's such a good addition to the to the, the film as well. You know, I, I like his take on the industry. I, I like his take on even independent bottling. And, yeah. and for somebody who's been known for really being associated with very large brands or, you know, <laughs> they're not really large brands, but they were larger than the smaller brands that I normally think of. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that he could build them up and sell them on. And, and now Glen Allocky has come out of nowhere to be on radars. And yet that guy is talking about independent bottling. It was it was really wonderful to hear. I, I did like his involvement with the film. Well, you know, um, David, no, it wasn't David. It was actually Ben Chambers from, from Glen Allocky told us that they said, you know, the, the pandemic was really tough for Billy because he's truly obsessed with his work. And every day was like, I don't care. I'm going back to the distillery. And they'd kind of talk him down. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing it. I don't care. I'm doing it. And they'd be the first person there and the last person to leave when he could. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> that that's certainly Billy. Um, obviously, on, on the podcast we've we've interviewed Ali Walker, uh, mm-hmm. son of, and, and had a great time. And, and to see Ali make a move over into independent bottling now as well, um, and it, it's great. We always talk about pitching up at Ben Riach, 
um, for our annual or even sometimes semi-annual no from Ali Walker. But it was always a lovely no uh, on, <laughs> on getting more casks from him. He always made us coffee, always offered us drams. Um, you know, it could have gone a lot worse. And so now when he and I sit with a drink or over dinner, it's, yeah, who are you getting all your no's from? <laughs> uh, I'm glad those are in your life. So, so I'm curious. When you met up with with Billy, were you expecting him to say as much as he did about independent bottling? Was was that part of the plan, or or that was kind of his take on the industry? I think, yeah, I think he directed that a little bit. Um, I mean, I certainly was. You know, I started to make my own personal line um, historically where I wanted to go back from sort of the idea of single malts. And, you know, one of my favorite lines in the film, it's actually, we named the whole one section of the film, who on earth would want to drink single malt whiskey? You know, this idea that Gordon and McPhail was, was setting these whiskeys aside and they thought that George Urquhart was eccentric to the point of mad for who on earth would want these things? Why would you, and you know, there's no value in it. And, you know, we, I tried to put that in the film, but it didn't work. We actually have Stephen Rankin explaining it. It just wasn't very visual. It, it felt like you were watching an Excel spreadsheet, but they were talking about the, they, they, he talked about the value of a, a four-year-old whiskey versus a 40-year-old whiskey and the difference between a blend and a malt. And the, the difference at the time in the 60s that you could make was maybe you could make another pound 40 off of the single malt as opposed to selling it to blend. There was no value added by it being a single malt. And he explains it very well, Stephen does, but it still was just a bit wonky numbers land. And, you know, um, wow. but he did it anyway, even though he had, at the time, no concept of it becoming this hugely valuable commodity. And then so once that, once we had sp started spending a lot of time at Gordon McPhail and McPhail and really studying independent bottling more and more, I got more and more interested in it. And like I said, the film evolved as we shot the film. And then what I had done, I actually, I didn't say this earlier, Brad and I went over, it was just me and Brad and Leslie Ann. We spent a week together kind of doing preliminary stuff, getting to know people, choosing locations. That was in June. And then I didn't want to shoot the film until November because I wanted Scotland to look like November Scotland, um, come hell or high water. And I just wanted it to look, you know, I, I think that I always say that I think Scotland is beautiful, but it's not pretty. And I didn't want to take a chance of it being pretty. I didn't want it to look like Hawaii. Not that there was a lot of risk of that. <laughs> Hawaii is pretty. <laughs> Scotland's much more stark. And, and you know, and so so Brad and I had gone already and spent a couple of days at Gordon McPhail. And uh, that really kind of informed that. So then that changed my interview with Billy Walker and other people as well a bit. I got you. Okay, so that was part of the evolution. And, and then... And then obviously Jim McEwen becomes a large part of the, the film, uh, quite, quite a large focus of it. Was that another aspect that built from your time being, you know, boots on the ground, being present? Sure, yeah. I mean, part of it is honestly is numbers, which is Jim was available to us. You know, um, Rachel Barry was in, we had, I think, two hours with Rachel Barry. I had half a day with Billy Walker. I had as much time as I wanted with Jim because he was retired-ish. And, you know, <clears throat> again, <laughs> and, and we were kind of using Ardna Ho as a sort of structural point where this is uh, the, the analogy I always make was that it was like a retired golfer who's now designing golf courses. That's and brilliant. And that's exactly what I think Bill, Jim was doing there, you know, is that he wasn't making whiskey at Ardna Ho. He was designing the distillery, or, you know, not the gift shop, but he was designing the, the, the workflow of the distillery. Yeah. The, the long line arms. Yeah. And the worm tub. And, um <laughs> You know, and so it's 
it's it was a, a really easy way into the story. Plus, you know, he he kind of owns the camera. You know, he, he just is very charismatic and. It's hard to look away from him when he starts performing. Yeah. And and even if you just spend 15 minutes with him alone in his office, he performs from about five seconds on. Uh, he performs and he's he's very good company. Very good company. Yeah. You talked a little bit about what evolved kind of as you were, as you were in the process of making it. Was there a particular surprise that came from from being there, from putting this together, anything that you ended up with that you that you never imagined would would make its way into a film? Yeah, I'll tell you the the thing that really I, I try very hard as a storyteller to stay open to the story. Especially, you know, if you're making a narrative film, you're done with that by the time you're shooting it. You're shooting what's on the page or close to it. But with a documentary, I think it's really important to sort of stay open to this as it happens. And what happened was we. Two things happened, and the two things were just electric for me, which is when we, we talked to, we had gotten to know some people at the Belvani, and we talked to them about interviewing David Stewart. And, and Gemma Patterson suggested to us that maybe we could interview David Stewart with Kelsey McKechnie. He had just announced her as his sort of heir apparent apprentice. And, we, and I thought, oh, that's fantastic. That's a really great angle. This is this guy. Because to me, the thing that's so funny and amazing about the Balfani is, as he, I think he's got, what is it, 55 years in the industry now? And he's like the third most senior person there. There's, there are two people there to whom he's the kid. Uh, <laughs> the new boy. And so we, we started kind of doing this little thing about the, the heritage, the lineage of passing on these traditions. And then the second day of the main shoot, we interviewed Adam Hannett. And then I was like, the whole time we're doing this interview, it, I, I, my brain was just rushing with white noise. Like, oh, this is the same story. This is, and then Jim started telling us about his mentor. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing these threads going back in time. And I was like, this is the story. This is, this is the thing about your dreams of sushi that I like so much, that this isn't about whiskey. This is about, I'm a person who mastered a craft because this person mastered that craft because this person mastered craft. And then when something like whiskey, that goes on, you know, into the mists of time. Yeah, I, I think I might have said this to you. I say in person, in one of our in-person Zooms, that I think my favourite part of the film was the connection of Jim through being a Cooper and into the mentor. And one of the things I always say about whiskey that's most alluring for me is the historical context. And to know that when you drink this in 2021, it's... You know, in one case, got roots in 2010. In another case, you get a cast that's got roots in 1990. In another case, you've got roots going back to, you know, the 1960s. I love thinking about what was happening in that moment when that spirit was running. And so for you with Water of Life Film to run that historical context was was. So dramatic and so alluring for me. Well, thank you, because I completely agree. And it's one of the things that really... And an interesting thing to me about Coopers in particular, and the analogy, I talked to the guys at the Cask Chasers the other week, and I, and I made this analogy because I know Bobby there is a, is a Marine. And my dad was a Marine. <laughs> and my dad, I said to him, my dad never called himself. He never said I used to be a Marine. He was a Marine until he died. And Coopers, I think, are the same way. And when we did an advanced screening of the film in Glasgow... 
the Cooper who I, when I, I worked at the Glasgow distillery for a week before we shot the film, they invited me to come work there and, Oh, and, one, gotcha. and they have an in-house Cooper there who became a good friend of mine and sort of showed me the ropes every day and tolerated me named Shug, Shug McMurray. <laughs> and Shug and I, I invited Shug to come to the advanced screening in Glasgow. And he came and Jim was there. And um, Jim went up. I said, Jim, this is the Cooper that I was telling you about. And Jim's like, oh, I'm a Cooper. And I, and I thought to myself in that moment, I bet you Jim McEwen hasn't raised a barrel in 20 or 30 years. But he's still <laughs> a Cooper. And that's, the, that's a, a badge for life. It's that apprenticeship, isn't it? Yeah. It's that getting in, it's getting the tools, it's working your way around a barrel. And and that part, and I think you just said this a second ago, is a badge. That's I think that's a really nice way of articulating it. Yeah. It's it's, it's such an industry, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So, so how, how much how much of a passion did you have for whiskey going in? And how much of a passion did you have coming out? What what did those two look like? Well, um, I was, I, I, look, I've been a consumer of whiskey since I was an exchange student. And, and I, you know, I, 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 I was in the Bon Accord before Paul owned it. When, when I met Paul, we talked about that. And um, <laughs> I have, uh, you know, uh, um, actually, hold on one second here. It's right yeah. across the room here. Let me grab this quick. Sorry. I, 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 I just dawned on me that I have this right here. I was going to show it to you. This is, this is the beginning of my whiskey journey. This was... I, I, my wife and I were doing some spring cleaning the other day, and I found some of my old Glasgow memorabilia. And this is the uh, flag I brought back from... Uh, There's a lot Glasgowing uh, on in 1990. Cultural capital of Europe. I remember it well. Uh, so, I remember all the gardens down by the Clyde. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, the, that's when I lived there. And um, so that's when it began. Uh, I would say I was, a, to be honest, a casual consumer, not a you know, uh, an immersive student nerd of it all until we started on this. And that our team teases me about how deeply I threw myself into it, not just in the whiskey, although I've certainly done that too, but <laughs> in the study of it, you know, I have, a, I have probably 30 or 40 whiskey books here. And, you know, um, I've been, like I said, I worked at a distillery and, and learned everything I could there. And, and so my appreciation of it and I'm loath to say expertise, but, but, Certainly, you know, working knowledge of it has increased tenfold since we started working on this four years ago. Well, I'm, I'm curious, as you throw 1990 out there, I, I would have been 16. Um, I, I was still five years away from, from really discovering single malt and thinking, oh, this, this is a thing for me. But I had family who were drinking those cheap blends, mixing them with different things. As an American... In Glasgow in 1990, what was your what was your takeaway about the Scottish scene, the the the, the whiskey scene in Scotland? Because for, for me that was a moribund time, and it wasn't really until the the later part of the 90s yeah. that you really started to see younger people say, "Oh, this might be a thing. This this might be for me." Do, do you recall what 1990 looked like for you on that on the whiskey side of things? Absolutely. Uh, oh, the two things, two things I'll tell you were one was, um, you know, there's the it's because I, I, I can't help but laugh when I say it now. Um, there's the the Glenlivet, the Belvenny. And I, la I laugh about that. But at the time I bought into that hook, line and sinker. I remember <laughs> buying myself. I bought a bottle of the Glenlivet. It was 12. This is a 12 year old Glenlivet. And I'm going to keep this until someday I'm going to get married or I don't know what, you know. And this is uh -huh. this is the this isn't some random Glenlivet. It's the <laughs> Glenlivet. Um, 
And the other thing, though, was that it was just pure dumb luck. I mean, I, I lived, you know, I, I was a student at Glasgow, Caledonia, uh, you know, and so I lived, we lived in a, in a housing estate called Rukesi, which most people don't know, but even Glaswegians oh, okay. I talked to don't know it. But, but as yeah. Roy from Akavite said, well, that will give you a thicker slice of Glasgow there. And, <laughs> and it did. It was basically Craig Lang. Um, and, wow. uh, Wow. And it was out past the Bar L. It's still there. I mean, but uh, it's, I was there recently and it's completely different than it was then. But what happened was two things. The, there's a whole story about how we got there. This, they, they put 14 American and all actually all exchange students from all over the world. They dumped them into this student flat for, for culinary students that, that the culinary school had extra room. So they just put us there. Uh-huh. And... One guy we met, uh, 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 the one guy we met at, uh, from Glasgow in the city was a student, and he was really into whiskey. And he said, oh, you have to come with me. I'll take you to this place called the Bon Accord. And I still remember the tables at the time. I, I talked to Paul about this. The tables at the time were casks. They were old casks, and you sat around this sort of – and it was a real old cask. And it was it, it was a same physical space, but a very different place. Hmm. And, and this guy, uh, his name was Michael, he was really, really – very seriously into whiskey. And he sat us down and he took us on a tour of Scotland this night, my friend Joe and I. And it was a pretty aggressive session, you know. Um, and <laughs> he took us on, you know, we, we had Isla whiskeys and we had uh, blends and we had single malts and we had the Glenlivet. And, um, <laughs> and that, that was amazing to me. And that really opened my eyes up in a way that they never closed again, even if I didn't go too deep into that. And the other thing yeah. I remember, and I'm almost certain it was in the Buchanan Galleries. At the very bottom of the Buchanan Galleries, there used to be a wee shop that, listen to me, I'm, I'm, <laughs> there was a... <laughs> oh, uh, I hear you, son. I hear you. <laughs> oh, go on. Go on with your sale. There's, <laughs> a wee shop. There was shop. A, a shop in the bottom there who, a, the guy only sold miniatures. And he, he claimed to have a miniature of every, every whiskey in Scotland that was available in a miniature. Okay. And, okay. and Joe and I went in. We were students. We were poor. So we went in there and we were, this is right before we left Scotland. And we bought, I mean, we must have bought 30 or 40 of these things, of <laughs> trying all these different miniatures. And it wasn't based on anything. It wasn't, oh, I love, I mean, let's face it, back then, it wasn't like there was 20 expressions from one distillery anyway. You know? Yes, um, yes. So we just bought loads of different miniatures. I think in large part based on the bottles. Like we liked the labels or we heard of this one or whatever. I remember yeah. Glenn Farkless was one of them. Um and but uh nice you know so that shop's long gone i think it's a shame because i think that shop would do quite well right now but he should actually have that shop at the airport um, right gosh <laughs> i don't know how you would sell miniatures and make money to be in buchanan galleries like that's that's a swanky little shop it's yeah a, it's, it's a lovely little uh, mall to go in unfortunately it's brought the word mall have you looked <laughs> up uh, on any of your your goings in, have you seen the big metal peacock that hangs off yeah, the top the, of the building? Yeah, ah, it's beautiful. I I look for that every time I, I get to Glasgow. Um, uh, yeah, I love that. Um, I've, I've got a story that I'm I'm purposely not telling you here. Um, <laughs> it, I'll, I'll tell you off off air. Um, <laughs> I I remember because when I got into whiskey and single malts I was up in Aberdeen at that point and along the end of Union Street there was just a 
a, a wee shop, as you would call it, Greg, um, <laughs> that sold Scottish knickknacks and bits and bobs. And I, I think there was a more dedicated whiskey selection through the back. But I remember they had a rake of minis. And we would sometimes dabble in the minis that they had on offer. But like you say, it was things like Bullmore Legend in a mini. And you could probably buy it for 50 pence. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it wasn't running you a lot of money. Um, and, it, and it was nice to have that little kind of exploration without without going crazy. But one of the things we always talk about is when we lived in Aberdeen, we lived across the road from Safeway. And Safeway had their own bottling, their own label of an Isla. And, and this was in the late 90s when there was a little bit of a crash out in Asia. And apparently a lot of the, the Isla, they, apparently they were pulling from Beaumore. And a lot of the Beaumore that was destined for Asia ended up going into the Safeway's own Isla label. And we were buying full bottles of Isla single malt from Safeway for £15 a bottle, one five. <laughs> and it just it just felt like we were living like kings. It, it was remarkable. And it's it's those little moments um, that, that I always look back on and cherish. Speaking of, whatever happened to your the Glenlivet that you were saving for marriage and, and first <laughs> child uh, and, and all uh, anniversaries in between. Did you pop it at some point? I did. It, I think it lasted two or three years on top of the refrigerator, still sealed. It's in its tube. And then I had a poker night at my house. I was still in college <laughs> and had a bunch of friends over. And I thought, you know what, let's just do this. And we, we drank it that night, the five of us, four of us. And I do remember, though, that I took a lot of money from my friend. I mean, at the time, I probably took $20. But, you know, um, I think my ability to absorb the whiskey better than them helped my poker. <laughs> It was funny. I do remember um, I would I did a, a year abroad in the Pacific Northwest at the University of Puget Sound and the University of Puget Sound sent two separate semesters of exchange student in my place. And I remember meeting them kind of as we exchanged positions and uh, they all talked about learning to drink in Aberdeen. That, that was their number one kind of lesson from <laughs> study abroad in Scotland was learning how to drink. And so uh, were you about 18, about 20? Yeah, how old were I, you I, when you went I, over there? And I was I was 19. I was 18 when I went and 19 when I returned. Um, so and um, <laughs> You were also a boy when you went and a man when you returned. Well, right? I, I, I always tell people I got on a plane in New Jersey and I wasn't legally allowed to drink and I got off a plane in Glasgow and I was. And... <laughs> There was a what was that you know, like? Well, uh, but actually, that's not true. I didn't fly to Glasgow. What I did is I flew to London, and then my friend and I spent six weeks year railing all over Europe. Then went to Glasgow, and then spent oh. the year there, where um, you could also drink. Yes, and did robustly. <laughs> and uh, the the funny thing was, the main thing I drank in Glasgow was Guinness. Um, I, I, and what there used to be a terrible, and we knew then it was terrible. It was a terrible bar. In George Square, right by um, Queen Street Station on the corner. I think it's a Burger King now. It was called the Berlin Bar. And it was designed to look like uh, the bar in um, Clockwork Orange. Had like white mannequin hands coming out of the walls. It was, it was, it was very, like, it was, it was a really dumb idea. And then it was poorly executed. <laughs> 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 
and it was like they they had bought mannequins probably from some closed clothing store and then just spray painted them white and mounted them on the walls. But oh my goodness! But we discovered that every I think it was Thursday they had it one hour. It was all the free Guinness you could drink for one hour. And we would go there and get tucked in. And then we usually hung out at the student union. And the student union had 99p pints. And so that's, you know, I drink a lot of tenants and McEwen's 80 shilling. And, <laughs> oh, my God. I want to get in a time machine and go back to all the Guinness you could drink for an hour. Yeah. Holy moly. They'd pour you out the front door. Yeah. Holy moly. Wow. Yeah, the, the one that we always reminisce about, and you just got onto this a second ago with the student union, is we had a bar up in Aberdeen called Zoo, Z-U. It was actually a, a nightclub. But on a Monday night was student night, and they would do 90 pence pints of Guinness. And so we would always get a brown drinking voucher, uh, a £10 note from the ATM, and we would walk in with our brown drinking voucher, and we would have 10 pints of Guinness. You would then collect the 10 10 pences, and on the way home, we would stop off and get chips, cheese, salad, and sauce uh, in a cone. And we would <laughs> eat that walking back to the dorm uh, farther up in Aberdeen. And um, and I always thought 90 pence a pint was a pretty good deal. All you can drink for an hour, that's an even better deal. Yeah, you just had to put up with the Berlin bar. You know, that. <laughs> I mean, it was, was fine. It wasn't done. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it let you could stumble right from there to the night bus back out to the past the bar L into the to Rukesi. <laughs> so and, you've got me beat in Glasgow. We were over in Springburn. We stayed in the Red Road flats that were you know a place where they told you don't go out after dark. Don't even just go to the little convenience store, the corner shop. Uh, just don't do it. Get anything you need before the sun goes down, and then hunker down in your flats until you can leave to go back into Glasgow in the morning. Well, they kind of told us that sort of stuff too. We, the day I moved in there, we met these two kids, these little kids, and they, they, they said to us, are you Americans? And we said, yes. And they said, do you know Eddie Murphy? And we said, no. And they, and, and they didn't believe us. They were like, but you said you were Americans. We're like, well, you know, yeah, those two things are also both true. I, did, I still don't know Eddie Murphy. <laughs> um. And then they, I remember the kids told us, they're like, oh, that bus stop where we would wait for our bus every day. That bus stop, someone was killed there with an axe last week. And we never I, we never believed them even then. Um, oh, really? I had a friend of mine see somebody get kneecapped out the window. Uh, they saw them get kneecapped in the street below. Well, we, I mean, look, I, I, it could have happened, but we asked around. and <laughs> it, it was the kind of thing, like an axe murder in, the, in Glasgow kids. would have gotten a lot of publicity. <laughs> Okay, so, so how do we bring this back to the movie, Greg? Um, so uh, you're the professional storyteller. How do we bring this back? So, well, so yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll say, though, that the it was uh, it's interesting. Um, for me, like I said, it, I was a consumer of whiskey my, my whole life, but I wasn't a student of it. And it was, it was a really mm -hmm. weird moment. Uh, there's a woman who does a thing in Dufton called the Speyside Whiskey Walk. And it's not affiliated with any distillery. But what she does, she's really cool. Um, uh, her name's Michelle Myron. And um, you meet at the clock tower in Dufton. And you go on a hike. And you hike to all nine distilleries, the open ones and the closed ones. And you don't go into any of them because they're not official. You stand in the car park. And she tells you about that distillery. And then pours you a dram from that distillery out of her backpack. And she oh, can't. Wow. And she can't fit all the bottles in her backpack. So even one of the hiking trails, she's got a little kind of lockbox where she swaps her backpack out halfway through 
And that's so cool. And she has her mom make uh, shortbreads, and she buys chocolates and cheeses, and you do these little tastings while you're walking. So at the end of this thing, it's like four hours long. You've had nine drams and a lot of cheese and shortbread, and then she puts she doesn't drink, and then she has a, her husband meet coordinates this with her. She has a van at the end of it, and she loads everyone into the van and drives you back to where you're staying. And and it was during that we walked past Glen Glenfiddich. We actually came up the hill back into Dufton, and we were walking past Glenfiddich. And Glenfiddich had the roof off the still house because they were mm. putting. They were. What I don't know if this is true, but what she said at the time I remember was, the stills were not due to be replaced for another year or so. But whiskey's been booming so much, they decided they'd better replace them now to help offset their bottom line for tax reasons. So they're replacing two of the stills, and they had cranes there, and they were lowering them in. And, and I remember looking in the still house and watching this all go on and thinking to myself that I was really interested in the making of it, in, in the sort of, you know, um, the people, there weren't people making whiskey there. It wasn't, they were, obviously they weren't using the stills while they were being lowered off of a crane, but it was just something about looking in the still house and sort of starting to ponder the kind of craftsmanship of it all. And it just kind of started clicking from there. And uh, I think by the time we had flown back, Five days later, I had already started buying books and kind of, and a lot of whiskey. I know. I remember I bought a lot. Of, I remember I bought a Glen Talkers. Oh, uh, one of my favorites. It was a Glen Talkers. It was a Lock Fine Whiskey Shop Glen Talkers in that square kind of flat bottle. Um, oh, okay. And I bought a Balveni Peat Week. Um, because while we walked by the Balvenie on that same tour, that was the week they were actually using peat on their floor maltings, and we actually could smell it, and she was showing us that. Um, oh, beautiful. I'm trying to think what I, I know I brought back. Um, I brought back a Bricolati, and I want to say it was a Bear Barley, but I'm not 100% sure which one it was. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't a classic Laddie, because I knew I could buy that here easily. That's... Um, that's always the question we answer on tour. What what should I be buying here? What should I be buying at the distillery? What can I get at home? And so we're always hopping between those markets to best yeah. inform guests. <laughs> so, um, so so just to kind of bring us full circle from where the, the questioning about Water of Life film started. So knowing that you wanted to, to launch at the fish, then you delayed until the September, then you had... Burns night of this year, so January of 21, here we are sitting, you know, on the edge of summertime 2021. For me as an outsider, it looks like you've had tremendous success with this film, with the reception, with the number of viewings. Is that what it's looked like on the inside for you? Have you taken that deflation and this is a horrible mixed metaphor but have you taken the deflation and then polished the turd and now here you are on the other side of the rainbow at the pot of gold that's the that's the key to polishing a turd you have to deflate it first and then <laughs> the air air dry it and uh, um no what we did yeah i mean look the the truth is our birds night launch was so much bigger than we ever expected it to be and we were so buoyed by that um you know people have asked us if we're if we you know are we're financed by brooklady and we're not we're 100 percent private financed film um we just truly found that story to be incredibly inspirational and it was it was a combination of the whiskey being great and the story being great even if the whiskey wasn't great the story was still great and it was you know it's just like they were broke they weren't just experimenting for the sake of experimenting they were doing it out of financial necessity. The idea of wine casks and, and how much 
how much um, poo-pooing they got, at, you know, for the things that now have become pretty standard. And um, people responded to that story. And I think the, the response we've gotten has continued. Um, hmm. And now, I mean, I'll tell you right now, literally last night before I went to bed, I had a call. We're planning. We just had to delay it because of COVID. Um, we're planning a big rollout in Japan. We're talking to people in Taiwan. Um, we're talking to people in Singapore. We're going to do a couple events in Australia coming up. Um, you know, so we're 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 not stopping doing this yet. We're moving it because it's still going very well. And the cool thing is, we still have only begun to scratch the surface of the whiskey world. Um, and, and but it's been going so well that people always ask us two questions, which is when can I get this on a Blu-ray and when will it be on a streaming service? And both of those things will happen. But right now. This is just a weird time, and for us, this is what would have been a theatrical run. This is what this is mm. what would have been us at a whiskey festival or a film festival. Mm-hmm. And if I, once you, Peter always says that the uh, streamers are great, but they're the last gas station before the desert, not the first one, because there's no more to go after you're there. After you're there, we can't go do more personal events and and special things. So we'll keep doing these until they don't make sense. And then mm-hmm. the plan is for like fourth quarter of this year to to probably go onto a streamer then. And, you know, and I don't know which one it'll be yet. Uh, you know, hopefully they bid with one another because <laughs> it'll, that will bode well for us <laughs> making more of these films. And that's, you know, we're, we've got a load of other ones lined up that we're, we want to tell. And Well, before we, before we, I do want to talk to you about the future to, to hear what your plans are. But before that, we have a, a collaboration on the go with you and we have a Water of Life whiskey bottling the the uh, the orkney 2003 the the sherried peated 17 year old orkney which i am so much in love with and and we sent you a sample get your blessing uh for the collaboration as well and that's going to come with a viewing and so we're really excited to have a nation viewing going on with a panel with nation members able to ask questions all of us a chance to get together online, dram together, community, right? Commune together uh, yeah. is really a key part of this. And so you know, I, th- I think we're looking at, at August for that. By the time we were looking to release the Orkney the day after this episode drops. So the episode is live June 30. The whiskey will go live July 1, available online. I- I did ask you beforehand. I was very pleased to hear that the sample got destroyed by your belly. Um, <coughs> what were your thoughts of it? What was your take? Well, you know, I, I didn't destroy the entire sample myself. Trevor, like I said, he's my next door neighbor, so it's not hard for me to hide good stuff from him. Um, <laughs> he knows when stuff's coming and he shows up. He, he, he did ask me for a tracking number. <laughs> the doorbell goes... Um, no, he, uh, he and I did it together and, um, I have a huge, huge love. Um, my personal tastes always run to this sort of dance between Pete and Sherry mm-hmm. I, I, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'll say also Pete and red wine finish. Um, you know, there's oh, some oh, port char- there's some port charlottes and, uh, there's a, an octomore, um, a couple octomores that I really have loved that kind of do that as well, that have not the same thing at all, but I, I there's something about that interplay that, that ticks. You may have heard me say this before. I, I, I think I said it to Josh, but I don't remember. Um, there's a Port Charlotte they did as a Valinche. Uh, it was MNC, and it was a 2005 Port Charlotte Valinche. And there's something about that whiskey. Every time I drink it, I have a dream about it that night. So it clearly is like, 
hitting mm. some kind of my lizard brain, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> this this whiskey is a lot like that for me in that it's there's this you know I I love that kind of um, it's. It's weird. It's almost like a, a stewed red fruits, like uh, maybe like peaches and cherries, and but mm-hmm. and then and then stu- stewed and then kind of put on a grill. And you know, ever since I've been a kid, I'm, I'm a big staunch advocate of Hawaiian pizza. I know it's very divisive. Oh, but I there lo- you go. Oh, you've just I, put the cat among the pigeons now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really love that kind of salt and sweet, and I also like that kind of smokiness and sweet dancing together. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there, you know, that whiskey really spoke to me that way and um I, I and i really like the sort of creativity the sort of craft forwardness of it and that's why i thought that it was such a good fit for what we're doing and you know what the film is about um Whis- whiskey aside have you had the deadpool pizza no it's right. pineapple and black olive no yeah no and so should, yeah joshua orders that for for his house uh but yeah the deadpool pizza there's a pizza place near me called um, uh, Lucifer's Pizza, and they have a thing called the ghost pepper pizza, but you're supposed to play it like Russian roulette. They only put the ghost pepper sauce underneath the cheese of one slice, and you're supposed to eat it with friends and, and film yourselves eating it. <clears throat> and you can get any toppings you want on it. It's just one slice has ghost pepper sauce underneath the cheese. So, Oh, my I, goodness. I've never done it, um, but... Uh, <laughs> Wow, one of our local pizza places, uh, Bella Luna, big fan of it, Neapolitan style pizza, and they did a spicy pizza. And I went in for lunch with my wife one day, and I ordered the spicy pizza. And as normal, you know, I, I'm a little bit of a hothead, and and as normal, you go somewhere, you order the spicy pizza. It's never really spicy. It's just the beginning of spicy. And so when they brought it to the table, I spiced it up. I covered it in red peppers. I asked if they had any chili oil and uh, maybe some fresh cracked pepper. Like I really tried to ramp it up. And I got about halfway through the first slice. And I thought, oh, this this has gone horribly wrong. This is this is serious. Like my eyes were tearing and, <laughs> and, and I'd lost power of my tongue. I'd lost power of speech. And... Um, I'm, I'm like, gosh, I've really lost my way here. And they'd come by the table to see if everything was all right. And my wife had said to them, oh, yeah, my, my husband's finding this spicy pizza to be quite spicy. And they said, oh, we'd hope so. There's ghost peppers in the sauce. <laughs> and, and there was nowhere on the menu, nowhere on a specials board. The wait person never said it. It's like, oh, thanks. I've just spiced up a ghost pepper pizza. And um, yeah, I just, I, I stopped eating. It was, it was absolute pain. Um, and so I, I'm curious with your local place, if everybody sits down knowing what's going on, even those without the spicy slice, feel a little bit of spice happening. Like, I wonder if there's <laughs> yeah. a little bit of psychosomatic going on there. Like, is this spicy? Am I, am I burning my mouth right now? Yeah, and um, or just being near them and feeling the heat coming <laughs> off of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ghost pepper's the real deal, man. But no, I'm, I'm glad you say what you said about the whiskey. For me, I, I just don't, I've got the sample bottle sitting in front of me. Um, it it should be on its way to our warehouse now. Um, I can't wait to open up a full bottle. But I opened up the sample bottle the other day, and the raisins, the raisiny aroma. Yeah that even just came out of the sample bottle. It's it's the real deal. I'm I'm so pleased with this cask and I'm so pleased that we're able to collaborate with you 
using this cask. Me too. Because uh, I think it really captures what you're about and what we're about. Um, and, and so each each bottle will come with a ticket to an online viewing of Water of Life film and uh, access to the panel, the Q&A session, uh, the whole nine yards. And, you know, I'll say that that's my favorite thing about this is the, the past year or six, well, six months, I guess, really, since we started doing this. I love whiskeys that beg to be discussed, that, that almost make you stop for a second and then taste them and then talk about that instead of whatever you were talking about. Instead of talking about traffic or weather or something, it stops you in your tracks. And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that Trevor and I really felt about this whiskey because one of the things we like to do with, with these panels and stuff is I think it's possible for the technology to disappear and you just to be chatting with people. As, and, and I think when your senses are so alive with whatever it is you're tasting, it's cool. It's, 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 it makes... It helps the Zoom evaporate and you're just chatting with someone about, oh, there's, and I tasted this and then, oh, you know, I can feel this. Like one of the things I love about some really big cast strength whiskeys is you kind of can feel them here, you know, up in your sinuses, <laughs> you know, uh, especially like smokier ones, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No, it definitely builds. It certainly layers on the palate as well and gets even better as you sit sipping of it, uh, maybe during a session. Um how are you doing for time? I'm fine. Um, okay, um, cool. I'm, so I'm, I'm totally fine. And, you know, the one thing I'll say, I, I, I had written down tasting notes when I tasted the sample, and, and I couldn't oh. find them this morning. I ran out of time. But, just some, but they were just random thoughts. But the, I'll tell you the one thing, and it's funny you mentioned raisins is what made me think of it, is what I wrote down is raisinettes. Um, ah, the chocolatey component yeah, as sort well. Of dark chocolate and raisins. And one of the things I've always done since I was a kid is I'll go to the movies and I'll either buy Raisinets or Goobers. And I actually prefer Goobers, I will say this. And I dump them into the popcorn. And I, because again, I love this sort of sweet salt thing. It's a mess because the popcorn melts the chocolate and then it's, it's a disaster. But now I've got my son doing it. And there's something about that kind of, there's the, the sort of the saltiness of the popcorn and, and then the Raisinet. But they, that's what it took me to there was this kind of dark chocolate and the raisin note together. Oh, I, I think you're absolutely spot on with that. Um, oh, gosh. I'm staring at this dram. I don't know why I'm not pouring it. Joshua and I are going to taste it in a in a in the next segment of this episode. Um, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about the cask number? Because there's a special cask number attributed to this collaboration, where we've gone with cask number two three nine eight for a reason, and I think you could articulate that a thousand times better than me. So go um, for it. That's funny. I'm actually looking at the numbers 2398 on the little readout of my camera right now because, um, okay, so in, in the U.S., <laughs> historically video, most people probably know this nowadays, but um, if they don't, <clears throat> film, film and video were either always either at 24 frames a second or 30 frames per second. But they're not, those are not actually accurate numbers. Um, what they are is 20, 30 frames a second was 2997. And 24 frames a second is 23.98 frames per second. And we shot the film at 23.98 because we wanted it to... A lot of documentaries are still shot at 29.97, 30 frames a second. It looks more like television as opposed to cinema. Um, Mm. And 23.98, because it has a slightly more frequent flicker, it gives you this kind of sense that you grow up with if you grow up watching movies, that that's just how movies look different. Hopefully, I, I don't know, I can't... I'm not seeing this, but I, I, I hopefully do. I look a little. I look fairly cinematic right now because I'm recording. You do. This is being broadcast at twenty three nine eight. Um, 
because I set my uh, I, I'm using a, a camera to broadcast this with a also with a really wide open f-stop so I have a shallow depth of field. I was going to ask you that question because when you mentioned a moment ago about the zoom almost fading away you know through the drinking and, and kind of the atmosphere of, of booze I feel in speaking to you on this zoom that you're literally sitting in front of me it feels like I'm seeing the head and shoulders of Greg. Yeah, that's <laughs> freaky, man. That's absolutely freaky. Even to the degree that your background is in a soft focus, and because I'm so focused on on your face, mm. but that's a that's a dedicated camera you've got doing that. It's yeah, it's not a, just a, a filter or a, a special laptop. No, it's a it's a Canon DSLR um, is what I'm doing, and I'm just running it through. Canon actually now has a webcam plug-in, so you can turn any Canon camera into a webcam. Wow. Um, so I thought I, it was just because you were dashingly handsome, but it, you are saying that, it is all technology. Oh, you just turned the camera off there. <laughs> oh, no, turn it back on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 2398 is what we shot the film at because we really wanted to make, and again, back to Jiro Dreams of Sushi, those guys were an inspiration to us because we didn't want to make a film that looked like a lot of talking heads. I don't have any problem with that. We just didn't want to do that. We people always say, oh, you know, I live, I, li I can actually, if I go outside right now, I can see the Hollywood sign. But that's about the most Hollywood thing about me. Uh, I mean, we're a bunch of independent filmmakers who live in Los Angeles. We're not part of a studio system. I mean, you know, we're, we're independent filmmakers. But we did want to bring, like, well, okay, we, as a team, we have the technological acumen to sort of tell a cinematic story, to really go into the drones, to really kind of overcrank the cameras and do some real nice slow motion stuff, to really sort of immerse ourselves in an experience that we wanted it to taste as rich and varied as whiskey does. And so part of that was shooting this at 2398. So that was the, that was just a little kind of talk about nerd. That's <laughs> Well, and that's, that's exactly, that's exactly my takeaway is talk about an absolutely spectacular attention to detail like to, to even go from 24 to 2398 like just that's it's brilliant man I, I, absolutely a, a wonderful achievement uh, can't wait to watch it with the nation to have the the panel uh, to have you be part of that conversation as well as we're all drinking our orkney together uh, and maybe a few other drams besides uh, i might have to pull out some of my own brookladi valanches uh, for the viewing um, but yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm saving some of this for for when we do it, too. Ah, uh, Ben Nevis. Yeah, it's the Ben Nevis. There you go. Oh, brilliant. You can yes. see I've made I've made I think the bottle has a hole in it. But other than that, I'll, hopefully it'll. <laughs> yeah, I, there will definitely be some SCM Ben Nevis for us on that night as well. Um, so what's what's the future hold for you? Uh, I, I know you've got a lot of extra footage to build off of, but but what else besides? Well, so we're definitely doing a second film about independent bottling. Mm. Um, that's kind of in the process right now. We actually, well, as, as you know, I mean, I, I, we I would like very much to interview you guys on camera about your experiences in that. Cheers. Um, Cheers. And, uh, you know, um, one of the things that inspires me was, well, like you said earlier, Billy Walker just kind of giving a ton of credit to independent bottlers. And... We did an interview with a guy um, named Kenneth Campbell, who is a shop assistant at the Lockfine Whiskey Shop in Inverary. And he said something to us that was really interesting, which was that, that 
it, it, once an independent bottler becomes influential enough, they can almost sort of serve as a research and development for distilleries that are curious about trying new things. You know, and, and he gave us an example, at the, and it's funny because it's really played out to be true, very true. This is two and a half years ago. He said, you know, a lot of independent bottlers, including themselves at the time, are, are playing around with rum casks. And he said, and it's really popular, and I think you're going to see a wave of that come through official bottlings in about a year or two. Sure enough, I mean, there's rum casks galore at the moment. And I think part of that is, and, and to Balvenie's credit, they, they openly admit they had no idea that that was going to become as popular as it did, like to the point that they were kind of caught off guard and had to get more casks. Yeah, but, yeah um, the Caribbean cask for them. Yeah, and so I'm really intrigued by that world, and we have a lot of footage. Um, uh, we, I have a, one of the people on our team who I didn't get to earlier when we were talking, we have a couple of people in Scotland who are part of our team. And one of them, he on the main shoot, he was our sound mixer, but he's become so much more than that, is Guy Satchwell. And Guy lives outside of Edinburgh. I can't remember the name of the town. It's where Sir Walter Scott's house is, whatever town that is, south oh, of Oh, man, you've just landed a Scotsman in it right now that I don't have that answer <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> uh, well, in any case, he, um, he's been actually conducting some interviews for me in my absence. Um, and mm. I've been giving him questions and just to do some pickups to fill in some gaps. Um, but that's, that's going to be the next thing that we have a lot of that footage already because I mean, we spent four full days at Gordon and McPhail and really kind of did some great interviews with some different of the people there. We did not really talk to Cadenheads yet at all. Um, mm. we've, we've already interviewed, uh, Adelphi. We've, inter we did a little bit with Signatory. Uh, we're going to do some more. Um, we did, we talked to Ian Croucher at North Star. Um, I'm, I'm definitely interested, especially because you guys, I'm really interested in talking to independent bottlers who are offshore. Uh, and there's lots of them, you know, um, and there's ones in Japan and there's ones in the yeah. Netherlands and there's ones in Germany, yeah. you know, um, but there's some big ones here in the U S as well. Um, and we did a big interview with um, some of the, two of the people from Alexander Murray. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. They're, they're off on your coast as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we spoke to Willie Lip and then they have a guy in Scotland who we talked to there. Um, Cameron Johnston, we, we interviewed him. Um, so, you know, that's going to be the next thing I, uh, for sure. And then we have other, we, we really want to tell stories about spirits that are, to, to go back to the Jiro Dreams of Sushi thing one more time, that is what led to the show The Chef's Table on Netflix. Um, and they, they are unapologetic about that. They, that was a 90-minute film. The Chef's Table is 55 minutes, single focus, chef each week. Same creative team very similar storytelling style. And we want to do that with spirits and, and maybe not, we may not even limit ourselves to spirits because we actually have at least stumbled across one really cool story about beer. Um, and makes sense. So we're, you know, that's, we're, I, we have a really cool story lined up about Miss Cal. As you know, I'm, I'm in, what is say in 10 days from now, I'm going to Skagit to, uh, to um, spend some time with the guys from Westland uh, for a couple of days pre-shooting, pre you know, so, there's lots of stuff that we're doing. Um, we need to, the next step for us from a business perspective is once we, 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 this will be a lot easier for us to do once we're on a streamer. And then, cause at, in, in the world of film investment, film financiers and stuff like that, that's when we've kind of completed our journey right now. We're, we're doing really well right now in a way that will only enhance that, but it's, it's, it's taking time. Um, so, so is there interest the way you're talking about chef's table there? Is are you thinking? You know, I don't think TV means what it once meant. Right. But are are you thinking a collection of shorter 
films with single subjects. Yes. Do you think that's that's a way forward for you as well? Yeah. Um, in addition to the films. Yeah. That. The, so that's one of the reasons. If you notice, we always say the Water of Life dash a whiskey film. That frees us up to make the Water of Life dash independent bottlers. The Water of Life dash a mezcal film. Water of Life nice. dash. You, who knows? Um, what, what what could come? Armenian brandy. That's actually one of the things we've looked into. Armagnac and Armenian brandy. We're kind of getting kind of into the, you know, there was there was sort of an armed conflict last year between Armenia and Azerbaijan, and okay. one of the really interesting things to us is in the piece of land that's disputed between the two countries is the biggest uh, brandy producing region in Armenia, and some of these distilleries were literally only able to get their brandy out under cover of night or they would have been targeted just basically out of spite. Oh, so they boy. were they were sort of, you know, now I don't necessarily want to go film that myself. There's <laughs> 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 well, a reason you surround yourself with a team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I have I, we have people on our team or at least people in my orbit who are really into doing extreme things. Um Oof. One of my one of the cinematographers I work with a lot. He was the first cinematographer for the the uh, Deadliest Catch in the first season of that. So he he'll do anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so that's 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 the idea. That's the, the well. The other reason we always say a whiskey film is because one of the distributors we talked to at the beginning of our launch advised us to change the name of the film because the word whiskey didn't appear in the title, which we thought was nonsense and, it, and didn't do it. So sort of as a little bit of a a little bit of a nod to that. We said, okay, it's a whiskey film, as if that's a genre, like a kung fu film <laughs> or a western. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's gone as well as it has. Uh, I'm really glad that it's given us a chance to meet. I know that, that speaking with you and speaking with the team over the last six, nine, 12 months, however time works, has been a real treat. And, and the thought of being interviewed for... You know, an independent bottler film just makes Joshua and I so incredibly excited. And so thank you so much for thinking of us there as well. Well, you know, I, you're, you're, thank you and you're very welcome. Um, I will say, you know, I, I know I mentioned this to you before, but it's I mentioned it to Matt Hoffman the other day. Uh, you know, um, I really love your podcast. I really, you, you know, you I use it as not just entertainment, but as sort of, you know, edifying my, my, my knowledge and everything. And um, I was telling them the other day what I told you, which is I had a root canal the other week and I, the dentist told me to listen to something. And I listened to the, I listened to, uh, you know, root canals are two appointments and I listened to Bill Lumsden and then I listened to um, Matt Hoffman the next time. Uh, <laughs> so you guys, that you should look, you should really explore the root canal market. Um, <laughs> Dare I say an untapped niche? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Thanks ever so much, Greg. I'll, I'll let you go about your being a busy chat, but thanks for being with us today. And, and the chat has been as as rewarding as I hoped it would be. And uh, and knowing about your struggles in the east side of Glasgow has, has made me hopeful uh, <laughs> that, that I won't have to keep drinking to forget mine as well. <laughs> well, no, thank you. This has been fun. Um, I, I, yeah, I knew it would be. I, you know, this, I just feel like I'm just, I, this is just like one of the calls we've done. I'm just talking, you know, and this is great. That, Jason, was just a lovely conversation, a really good listen, and, and I wish yes. I was a part of it. I really wish that I was able to join you. 
Yeah, it's always one of those things when we've done so many of these paired interviews where we're bouncing off of each other and I'm I'm a little notorious for jumping in with both feet for the first 20 minutes, getting my questions and then sitting back. And when I'm not doing that, I'm trying to be conscious and sitting back and letting you take the lead. And so to sit there by myself, I'm thinking about what would Joshua ask in this moment? What would Joshua be curious about in this moment? Mm. As I'm also thinking about my own questions, as I'm also listening to the person and trying to bounce off what they're saying. And so there are some times in those one-on-one interviews Mm. where I have a little bit of of out of body experience. I feel like I'm watching the interview as a third party and judging how it's going and uh, and where it's been and, yeah. and what's not being asked. And, and to be honest with you, I, I'm also thinking about the listener mm-hmm. uh, and asking myself, where, where do the listeners want this interview to go? What questions, if we get to the end of this and I haven't asked a particular question, what, what would that be? What would be the thing that would leave the listeners hanging? So, and yeah. so the whole the whole enterprise is is a ton of fun, but not without challenges. So, after you were done with the conversation, is there was there anything that you know you've moved on twenty minutes later and you say, ah, oh, geez, I should have asked this. There wasn't because even the next day. You'd said to me, or maybe not the next day, but the next time you and I spoke, and you'd said, did you ask him X? Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I kind of did. Not not in those words, but I kind of did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you'd say, oh, good, good. I'm glad that came up. Yes. And and so it, it, was, it was that type of conversation where... I, I don't think I left anything unasked. Okay. Even along the lines of, can we be in your next documentary, your next film, <laughs> where he'd already volunteered that. So yeah, as I said to him in the moment, Greg, you're, you're on wax, mate. That's, if it doesn't happen, we're going to be banging down your door. So. so before we went into this, before we went into the conversation between you and Greg, you had teased to our listeners that we would be talking about the Orkney bottling and that we may, well, I don't know if you said we may taste it, but while we were sitting around waiting for the conversation to be done, we said we should taste this on wax. So I poured a little bit of the Orkney 17-year-old into my glass. Did you want to go over that now? Yeah. Did you want to touch on news? Oh, no, no, no. I definitely want to be tasting this right this second. It was funny because in in setting up the interview with Greg and saying, you know, if if we can taste the Orkney together and and talk about it. And he said, oh, that that sample is long gone. (laughs) And and on one hand, I'm thinking, oh, that's brilliant. I'm glad it's long gone. I'm glad you enjoyed it, along with Trevor, to that extent that it was long gone. And so he, he discussed his recollections of it in the interview that we just listened to. For us, having more of the sample in front of us, I have revisited this multiple times. 
and I remain excited for the bottle going live on July 1, mm-hmm. right? The, yes. the day after this episode drops, the bottle will go live. And I cannot wait to get a bottle of this in my house and get it cracked and and pull from a 750 mil bottle instead of the, the what, 100 mil sample that I've been sharing with you and sharing with Greg and by extension mm-hmm. sharing with Trevor. It's, I'm ready for the real deal. So here it is in our glasses. And and to be clear with, with our listeners, we're only gonna do a little, a quick back and forth on this for, for the podcast. We will have the full tasting notes on the YouTube channel. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And for a thing, you can just find us through Single Cast Nation on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. If you just go to YouTube and go to the little search bar and, and go to Single Cast Nation, you'll find our channel. We've got tons of tasting videos there and some other odds and ends uh, videos there as well. Uh, so go ahead and subscribe to that. That would be great. If you're listening to this podcast, know that that video is now live. So if you're interested in getting a more yeah, detailed, right. <laughs> uh, more detailed descriptions on, on this whiskey, that video is now live. So you could just go to YouTube and search out single cast nation Orkney 17 or something like that. And that should, that should find it. Yeah. And, and as, as the podcast is global, I do have to add the caveat that the Orkney 17 will only be available in the United States to online membership of the nation. But if you've got a friend in the US, you could have a bottle shipped to them and then work out the logistics of getting it to you wherever you find yourself in the world. But that's on this yep. is a cracker. God, the, the nose is just... It it just pulls you in with that the 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 initial sweetness and then the peat just follows in directly behind it. The sweet is like, excuse me, just getting in the door, and the peat says, "Yep, I'm in now." <laughs> you know, just bangs yeah, it, it open. And, it, and it's that Highland peat yeah. that's going on here, right? It's a fragrant smoke mm-hmm. that complements those dark fruits of the sherry cask. I'm going to taste it now. It has a little bit, and I, I know we'll we'll roll up our sleeves and we'll do the heavy lifting for the YouTube video, but this has a bit of the Lagavulin Fischiel 2015 about it, where I just want to be enveloped by the whole experience. I don't want to necessarily tease it out and identify a grocery list of of items the whole wash of this is so beautiful there i i just made a connection to a bottling that you and i had back in 2011. now this is my first whiskey of the day and it brings about this this peppery jolt on the palate it just kind of wakes up your palate in a really nice way with hints of of gunpowder but really really delicate gun this isn't sulfur lead it's it's the 
it's the brightness of the pepper that is reminding me of gunpowder. And it reminds me of a Bowmore that you and I had um, mm. back in 2011. It was an SMWS bottling, and that one was just like a big, a big pepper bomb. But it was this kind of thing that says, wake up, pay attention to your surroundings, life is good. And that's what I'm getting <laughs> here. That's what I'm getting here. Uh, yeah, it, it is interesting because I, I, I think that's what pepper will do in a meal, right? If you're eating a, a larger dish of something, that pepper will attune you mm. to the other things going mm -hmm. on in the dish. And, and with this dram, I've got this honeyed sweetness mm -hmm. going around the edges mm -hmm. of the pepper. I've got the rich, dark fruits going around the edges of that pepper. But then I've also got a, a dark chocolate, a bitterness of that dark chocolate that's waking me up as well. I, I guarantee you, and, and I'm with you, this is my first whiskey of the day. I guarantee if you had this first thing in the day, middle of the day and end of the day, you would have three different experiences yes. from this whiskey. I, I don't doubt it. Exactly what we talked about in the beginning of this episode, the context here. Change the context and you'll get a different whiskey. And they'll all be phenomenal. They'll all be wonderful. The context will change along the way. Um, so it perfectly said. And But as we're going on, I, I remember pulling out that bottle. And what I remember the most about it, maybe a bit more than the whiskey, this was your... This was your first time staying up at my house. This was right around the time that we were signing the papers to to become a company. It was right around that time frame. Mm. And you had slept over. And I was really interested in trying whiskey first thing in the morning. But I was a bit nervous to say, do you want to do you want to have a whiskey? <laughs> because what a very different time what a very different time but it was one of those things where i knew my palate note you know my palate just like everybody else's palate is wide awake first thing in the morning but no one ever really talked about it and so it, it was one of these things like I do this because this is where I'm going to taste the flavors the most, but I shouldn't talk about it because it's the morning and it's before breakfast. And I was a bit nervous to ask you, you know, do you want to taste a whiskey? But I did anyway. And you're like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I certainly wouldn't leave you hanging with that offer. <laughs> yeah, actually, I just had that moment over the weekend as well where I was... I was taste. I can't even remember what it was I was tasting, but it must have been an SCN bottling, because I was I was drinking it in the evening, and I commented to Tamara, who did not care about my comment, but I just wanted to say it out loud to someone, and I said, <laughs> "This whiskey right now is drinking very differently from when we wrote the notes for it." Yeah. And when do we typically write the notes for our whiskeys? First thing First in the thing morning, morning when our palates are at their freshest. Mm -hmm. And it's that, you know, and I do this in all, all, all of my tastings, all my tastings during, during lockdown, is I say to people, here's the first dram. 
we're recalibrating our palates right now. Yeah. Yeah. Get this in your mouth, swirl it around, coat your tongue, coat your taste buds, but pay no attention to how it tastes. And now do the same process a second time. Because as I always say, your palate, your mouth, your tongue has lived a life up to that point of your day. It's these building contexts. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to pour an after dinner dram, you're not necessarily sitting down to do a full tasting of that dram. No. You're looking for a flavor, an experience, a texture that will complement the experience you've just had at the dinner table. Yeah. Yeah. And so me having a dram of that SCN late in the evening or later in the day, in the evening, <laughs> is very different than you and I sitting down with fresh palates to write company tasting notes. 100%. Yep. Yep. Could not have said it better myself, Jason. Context is everything. Context is everything. But, but I want to reiterate something you've said, and, and I've... You've said it to me multiple times and I've agreed with you and I think we've had it on wax in, in, in places. You and I were buying single cask Orkneys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think I can say you and I were, were buying single cask Highland Parks because that is a true statement, right? Yes. You and I were literally buying single cask Highland Parks yes. in the mid aughts or noughts yes. or 2000s yes. or the noughties or however people are saying it. And, Ooh, and I remember picking up oh, I the like noughties. I, I remember picking up a single cask Heimler, 19 year old from Beltramos oh, in yeah. Palo Alto. Yeah. When my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law lived just around the corner uh, from the, from the store. And it was, it was epic. It was everything I wanted Highland Park to be, which was big, robust, sherried, yeah. Maybe a maybe a hint of smoke, a lick of smoke, but but not really as a key feature, mm -hmm. but as a complementary component of it, and and those were some remarkable Highland Parks coming to the United States, and while we have bottled this Orkney that is not Scapa, and does not bear an HP moniker, it is reminiscent of those single casks that we were buying in the, in the noughties. Magic, yeah. Just right, and, yeah. I, and I want to say Binnies, you know, Binnies had theirs, and they were, they were, they were in Highland Park livery, and you know, yes. it was the Highland Park bottle, the Highland Park livery, and it talked about single cask, and potentially said bottled four. I actually think Binnies may have done two, and I want to say mm. one was like, 31 and one was 36 or something like that both both were similar ish mm. ages both in their 30s i could have that a, a bit wrong but knowing binnies <laughs> they they do plenty of single barrels and um but right that binnies the first binnies was just as good as the next was just as good as the beltramas was just as good as the 13 year old for, from Delilah's was just as good as some of the ones bottled outside of the US for Maxim, um, you know, distributors. And I, I think Jeepers Creepers, I want to say the Netherlands or Sweden or Benelux or somewhere out there. And I asked that question of Jess. Yeah. 
where she hasn't had a chance to taste this yet, but I'd, I'd asked her, you and, and Sweet Scott, Chris Hallstrom, you both have such knowledge of the Scandinavian yeah. Highland Park single casks. I was curious how this single cask of Orkney would stack up against the Scandinavian Highland Parks, given what you and I know about the American single cast selections of Highland Park. Mm. I was curious what profiles were coming out from the distillery into those other regions. Sure. Uh, and so I, I don't have my answer from Jess yet, but I will be following up with her to get that answer. But, but I'm curious about that. And as another link in the chain here, for me, this 17-year-old is the, 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 the bigger brother of the 13-year-old Stones of Stenness, um, a Hello from the Magic Tavern collaboration yes. we did a couple of years ago, a few years ago. 2016, I want to say. Get out. 17. Get out. Maybe 17. Get out. As Jason picks the bottle off his shelf. Bottle January of 2018. Like I said, 2018. <laughs> <laughs> You're wow. 16 for the cat among the pigeons there. Jay, can I still claim COVID <laughs> as as manipulating time? Or are we past that? Uh, so 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 this this to me is is the the bigger brother of that, which which is interesting because to my mind, as you transition from a 13 to a 17, I think of a softness, or I mm. think of a, a more delicate nature. To me, this is has become a little more rambunctious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I I would, I would even. I'm about su- to do a side by side comparison. All right. I would even suggest that our 17 year old is is like the Captain America of whiskeys, where it just got some super soldier serum injected and it became Moorish. It became a better version of itself. That's always a good word, isn't it? Moorish. Moorish you know, yes. That makes me think of, you know, warm toffees and caramel. Mm. I, I've started pronouncing caramel like an American because I've done so many bourbons. Oh, you it's say caramel. caramel. And I should just go back to calling it caramel wait, wait, because wait. it's caramel. Yeah. Americans pronounce it caramel? Caramel. Like it all just I have once never together. in my life said caramel. It's always caramel. Maybe you haven't, Chris, spent any time in the South and everybody's saying caramel. Hell yeah, caramel. It has two ways. I like to use them both. Caramel. Well, you do live in New England. Oh, there you go. I think you you copy a few things from Old England. (laughs) As with an Um, E. So, so you're you've poured a little bit of that thirteen as a side by side. I don't have. But, that. but here's here's I'm gonna I'm gonna have to put a disclaimer in here, and this is for the benefit of our friend Vadim. This is the heel of the Stones of Stenness thirteen, and this is softened and oxidized. This is not the fresh bottle of would, this would, thirteen year old. So, would you suggest that it's better to pour out the heel pour than the neck pour? <laughs> I think you should just save the part of the part of the bottle that the label covers. Yeah, I think that's the only drinkable part of a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, that's known as the hearts. 
<laughs> you, you pour out the four shots, you drink the hearts, and you pour out the faints. It's, it's easy. <laughs> I'm going to think of that every time I look at a bottle of whiskey now. I'll say this. I'll say this. Even with it softening, oxidizing, being the heel, not being the fresh bottle of this, it's still damn good. But I think my observation stands at this 17. I think I think would triumph in a head to head and that would be a glorious head to head battle. Mm. <sighs> so, yeah. so with yes. with this yes. in mind, let's for the final time because mm. as you had mentioned before, this bottling is going on sale the day after this episode drops. So mm -hmm. let us, for the final time, deliver the details of this whiskey, how people can buy it, how much it's going to cost, et cetera, et cetera, what comes with it, et cetera. So uh, do you want to do that, Jason? <laughs> uh, I'll give part of that, and you can fill in any mm -hmm. gaps. Look at that sharing scare. We are proud to collaborate with Water of Life Film on this. And we are excited to be putting together our own single cast nation viewing of the Water of Life film that will be followed with a panel. You and I will be on the panel. Greg will be on the panel. We're working out a special guest for that panel. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a ton of fun. And, you know, looking for another reason to hang out with members of the nation is always exciting yes and so so each bottle each 195 dollar bottle of sherried peated orkney comes with a ticket to a viewing of the water of life film and an invitation to the q and a panel mm -hmm. so it's it you know it, it's really it's really doing its best to be a collaboration here. Yeah. Where we're, we're all in this. Members of the nation, Jason and Joshua of the nation, Greg of the Water of Life film and his team. It's, it's all of us getting together. And we'll be, we'll be dramming on this Orkney, this Stones of Stenness 17-year-old. That's, that's going to be a fun thing for us all to be dramming on. As you and I sit here, sharing this with one another the goal is to share it farther than that wider than that so exactly yeah so yeah yeah i'm excited to get it out there uh, get it poured 195 one bottle per member to again spread the wealth we've got almost 10,000 members in the nation now this is going to be 320 bottles on sale. Yeah. It's yeah. going to sell out lickety split. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that I'll add is there, there may be some people saying, and, and I guarantee this is true, some people saying, I've already seen the film. Mm hmm. Well, that's true. Uh, I guess you don't have to watch the film, though you're, you're more than welcome to, oh, to, we'd love to, to, have to you watch come back. it. We'd, we'd well, love to have you come back. And, just like any other film, we've all seen films more than once, and what would yeah. be and what'll be nice is rewatching the film, have it fresh in your memory for when the panel happens. Right, that that's going to change your movie going experience. Yeah, I was going to add the same thing. You and I have watched the movie, 
We haven't watched the movie with the nation. Exactly, right? And there's there's a reason we do our, our 3M podcast, our Mates Movies and Malts, to be able to sit down, watch a movie with a guest, and know that there's nation members that are kind of watching that movie with us. And, Absolutely. And there's something special to be said for that. So, so don't let that Absolutely. hold you back. Buy the bottle, open the bottle, enjoy the bottle. Please, even if you've seen the movie before, watch it with us and then join the panel afterwards. I think it's going to be a great time. So details on when that movie will be happening uh, as well as when the panel will be happening will be revealed shortly. Like Jason had mentioned, we're looking to bring in uh, another panel guest or, or two. And as we solidify that, um, we'll we'll push the details out as they come in. Yeah, cool. yeah, it's fun. Yeah, we we always like these collaborations. It's good to have another one in the books. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking for the listeners asking, and how will we hear about the release of this? Well, the the usual avenues. It will be announced on the Single Cast Nation private members only Facebook group. It will be emailed to your inboxes with a link. Right. Yeah. That's, that's really the two places, right? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there'll be it, another one that's not necessarily on the front page so um, if you, of if, Single Cast Nation. If you're not a nation member already, then, you know, please go ahead, go to singlecastnation.com and there'll be a link, you know, it says click, you know, click to become a member. It's free to join. You just sign up with with your name and your email address and you punch in your address for when you want to buy a bottle. But once you do that, the welcome email after you've created a membership gives you a link to join our private members only Facebook page. And so that's where we have a lot of activity. Uh, We have close to 4,000 other nation members on that Facebook page right now. So the conversation is great. And that's where we tend to drop a lot of information, sometimes even before email. Um, So so you'll definitely want to be a part of that. Just to close out the side by side, I remember pouring the Stones of Stainless 13 Hello from Magic Tavern collaboration at the Seattle Jubilee. Hmm. Yeah. And I remember telling people this is a sherried, peated, just exuberant experience. Mm-hmm. And, and so many people across the table, and I distinctly remember James Foster standing across the table <laughs> and just his eyes wide as saucers, just saying, I have to get a bottle of that. I have to. And pouring them side by side, the 17 has much more of that highland wood smoke going on than the 13 year old yeah with that bit of sherry behind it gosh what an experience so yeah i i stand by my original claim from memory that the 17 year old is the 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 big brother of the 13 year old a bigger brawnier expression i can't wait to have my own bottle i just can't wait um cool so 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 do we have any mail to get to and if we don't then we may want to consider bowing out letting our listeners go i think we're good here i think we've we've done exactly what we came to do and it has been wonderful and delicious (laughs) 
<laughs> there's a there's a scene in Ghostbusters. I always think about this when people talk about we we came to do we're gonna do. There's actually two movies, uh, Ghostbusters and They Live, and you got Bill Murray says we came we saw we kicked its ass, and then you've got Rowdy Roddy Piper says I'm here to do two things: chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. That's a good line. I've always enjoyed that. <laughs> not necessarily the movie, not really my genre, but Rowdy Roddy Piper, definitely my guy, definitely my wrestler. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, the story was great. The, mo- the movie execution was not wonderful, but the story was phenomenal. Getting praline in the 17-year-old mm, Stones of Sadness. Very nice. Yeah, there's like a nice hazelnut note running mm. through that. Oh, I like that. Mixed with the chocolate, you have a little uh, little Nutella going on there. Okay, Joshua Hatton, let's go record the YouTube video. Let's do it after I tell listeners this. <laughs> we may not have an email to go over today, uh, but we would like to get one. So if you want to reach out to us, you could do so. Questions at OneNationUnderWhiskey.com. Uh, you can always reach out to us via Facebook. Just go to Facebook, look for One Nation Under Whiskey. You can message us through that. Uh, Twitter, we are at One Nation Whiskey. And Instagram, we are One Nation Under Whiskey. And as usual, whiskey is never spelled with an E. We definitely don't do that. So when you search for us, don't use the E. And now, Jason, I deem us able, worthy, competent, to let our listeners go. So before they go, <laughs> let me circle back to Mr. Glaswegian in New Zealand, Colin Mayers. Oh, yeah, the pluralized uh, Colin Mayer. Who, who, first of all, made the mistake of sending a sample to Joshua Hatton in Guilford because that's where samples go to die. <sighs> and I listened back to that episode and I thoroughly enjoyed your tasting of the, the avocado mm-hmm. spirit. And I also heard you say, don't worry, Jason, I might not have sent you samples before this recording, but I will bring samples to Kentucky so that you can taste it there. And we're now back from Kentucky and Jason still hasn't tasted the avocado spirit. So on wax, Mm -hmm. in the presence of Colin Mayer's ears, when can Jason expect to taste this avocado spirit? Well, I would suggest you uh, write your senators, uh, lodge a complaint to the local <laughs> constabulary, and, uh, and we'll get back to you within uh, 10 business days. <laughs> well, here, I've, I've, I've got two things for you, Jason. Oh, is it kicking ass and chewing bubblegum? It's kicking ass. Because I, <laughs> I feel like you're out of bubblegum. <laughs> While we don't have any specific travel planned within the next few months, I know that in early <laughs> September, you and I are going to be in the Netherlands at Maltstock. Spoiler alert for everybody. Go to Maltstock. Enjoy us there. We're going to enjoy Maltstock there. And then secondly, you're going to be coming up for Mimi's Bat Mitzvah. So there are two times where we can do it live, as Bill O'Reilly likes to do. Do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Fuck it.
Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! I love that none of this is samples leaving Guildford. Yeah, you've got to come to me, Jason. This, 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 this sending samples is for the birds. And people oh, are competent. Colin. <laughs> Colin, why did you send it to Guildford, my friend? He, he doesn't know. He's, he's down there. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. I should have suggested to Colin that he send it to you. But, but this exposes my, my extreme selfishness. Because you will send me the samples, but I know you'll taste it before me, and I don't. That doesn't. That doesn't bode well. <laughs> I I need to taste all the things first, selfishly. So, so here we are. Oh my lord! Um, <laughs> let me just say, I still haven't received my mezcal drinking vessel from Joshua, even though you sent a care package to Tamara, which was very very kind. After her fourth spine surgery in a year, you sent a care package. I thought, oh, I'm sure he'll just stick the little mezcal drinking vessel in there. Nope. And then I thought, well, I'll see him in Kentucky. I'm sure he'll just bring it to Kentucky. Nope. Yeah, well, so I got to come to Connecticut to pick up that. Yeah, so you, when you bring up this story, when you're airing grievances, you are strategically forgetting my response to you when we were in Kentucky, when you said, where's my hikara? And I had said, it's in my car. I had it next to my bag. I was <laughs> meant to put it in the bag, and then I didn't. So it's a bit like horseshoes and hand grenades. Almost. Almost, Jason. <laughs> and so let me get here. Let me get us out of here on one very final, very positive note. Oh, thank God. Is Vadim, who, who I mentioned moments ago, mm. uh, who would be disappointed with me drinking from the heel of the, the Stones of Stainless bottle, and rightly so. Vadim also sent my wife a care package post-surgery. Oh. And that just came in uh, tail end of, of last week, just before my birthday, actually. And she was blown away. Like, who? What? How? What? And so, Vadim, thank you ever so much. That was so an incredibly thoughtful. kind so gesture and, and really, really appreciated within the household. So we've got very kind listeners who, who send us things uh, and even... I've been known to send my wife things. So my wife. Beautiful. All right. That is good news to leave on. So, so Jason, can I have a, can I have a couple chins? Two chins. Chin, chin. Everybody, that <coughs> I'm so tired. Hello, just everybody. do it. I'm doing it. Just, just, say. <laughs> just I like that opening the last time. Just say it. Just do it. Just go. Fire. Fire in a hole. Launching sequence.